This morning's reading is taken from Exodus, chapter 17, beginning at verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with his sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Janet. Good morning, everyone. It is with joy and some sadness that I'm here with you today, but it is really lovely to be here with my Christian family here today. So thinking back to last week, the week just gone, how much did you feel God's presence with you? Thinking about each part, maybe there were parts where you were very conscious, very conscious of his presence, and others where maybe you were very conscious or even doubted his presence, and other parts you just didn't think about because you were doing the washing up, whatever. So is that normal to feel God's presence in some of our week, but not others? And what is common to those parts where you don't feel his presence? Well, what does the Bible say about God's presence? Well, this is what Jesus said right at the end of Matthew's gospel. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So if we doubt his presence, or maybe we think we're not important enough somehow for God to bother with us, then this is clearly against what Jesus said. What Jesus said isn't conditional. It's clear and unrefutable. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our passage today is all about God's presence. Well, actually, it's the third part of three incidents where the people of God needed to rely on God for the very essence of life itself. In the first two, they did not show themselves to be at all in a good light. For the third, well, we're going to get to that in good time. Brian, can we bring some Bibles to the people? Our third party, what a great thing to have to do. Anyone help Brian as well? Bring some Bibles out, because it will help if you have your Bibles open.
brilliant. I also, and we can start thinking about this also, I'm going to do a little illustration in a minute where I need three volunteers to come and help me. Um, can I have three volunteers? Yep. One, put your hand up. Who else? Two more. Thank you. And you're going to be Moses. You're going to be her. Not, not de yeah, okay. That's not deliberate. And one other person, please, who's going to be Aaron. Pete, yep, okay. So when I call you out, please come out, okay? Thanks, brilliant. Um, so you hopefully got your Bibles by now. Our three-parter starts at Exodus 16. Uh, and that's, Exodus 16 is on what page in the church Bibles? Some? 73, page 73. So what's the background to all of these three parts? Well, we've had that most amazing rescue that God has just performed, a rescue where a whole nation who were under slavery and tyranny were allowed to escape across the, into the desert. God had so demonstrably acted to release the Israelite people from slavery, from the clutches of the rule of Egypt, Pharaoh. And now, just a little later, how quickly these people forget. They start to whinge. If you've got your Bibles open, look in Exodus 16, chapter, verse 3. It says, the Israelites said to them, them being uh, Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out here into this desert to starve this entire assembly, assembly to death. What did they think God was going to do? God had allowed them to escape. He surely had a plan. Genuinely, to, he had that plan to then bring them out and have them die in the deserts. No way. God provides. And he's about to provide consistently all the food they need for the next 40 years. With their, so now, with their bellies full of manna and quail, here they are moaning again, just one chapter on in verse, chapter 17, verse 3. It said, this time it's about water. They said, they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? But again, did they really think God would leave them to die of thirst? No. Miraculously, in the middle of that desert, God acts. He causes fresh water to spring forth from a rock that Moses strikes at Horeb. So twice the people had struggled with their lack of trust in God's presence, forgetting all that they had learned of their loving Heavenly Father, fundamentally denying the character they knew he was, the character they had seen him portray, a father who loves and looks after his children. So we get to the third part of this trilogy of needs. Maybe it reminds us of Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. We've considered food and drink, and now we have the matter of security. As they move deeper into the desert, they're attacked by the Amalekites. We don't know why this attack came about. The Bible doesn't tell us. In the beginning of our main passage today, chapter 17, verse 8, it just simply says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. 
This is a real and very present danger to these traveling people that God so loved. Moses jumps into action with a twofold action. Firstly, he directs Joshua to take some men and go out to fight them. This is the first occasion where we hear of Joshua in the Bible, a future leader who will be vital as the people of God arrive and settle in the promised land. Then the second part. It looks like Moses has the easy and not a critical part to play in the plan, as he will go up on a hill overlooking the battle that Joshua is fighting with other chosen men. However, as the story progresses, we see that Moses' role will be far from secondary. He takes the staff of God in his hands with him and lifts it up. And when it was up, the Israelites were winning. And when it was lower down, the Amalekites start to win. Then we have this almost comical verse, verse 12. And can I have my volunteers coming up, please? Can I have Moses, Aaron, and Hur? Thanks. Don't know why I chose you to be her. Why did that happen? <laughs> so, Moses, could you take the staff? And you held the staff high with both, it says plural, both hands. And that's the banner of God. And Aaron stood on one side and her, he, him, stood at, as, it looks like the footer at people's emails now, her, known as him, her, <laughs> um, on the other side. And then it says, when, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone. This is a, my reenaction of a stone down here. With all its... <laughs> and put it under him. And so you sit down on the stone. Aaron and Hur held his hands up high. So you sort of held his hands up high. And uh, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So that's the scene. So with help, Moses was able to hold the banner of God up all day long, right till the end of the very end of the day. Thank you very much. Can one of you stay with me? Decide between yourselves. <laughs> Settle down. Good, good, good man. Thank you, Mark. Um, so what are we to make of this scene? What can we... Well, first of all, we can see that it worked. The banner of God was lifted high, and in verse 13, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And as we can see from verse 14, the remembering of this day is vital as something to be remembered. Yes, definitely for Joshua. God says, make sure that Joshua hears it. But also, I think he intended for us to hear this today. That's why it's in our Bible. And us definitely to hear about this here today in Claygate. It's too easy, I think, sometimes to dismiss this recorded time as an ancient, irrelevant history. But as Paul told Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Moses, to remind the people to come, to, to, the people to come and also as an act of worship, built an altar right on this spot that he called in Hebrew, Yahweh, Nisi, or in English, the Lord, Lord with capital letters in our Bible, because that means Yahweh is my banner. Nisi being like a, a signal pole 
like a, a battle banner, something with a, maybe a flag on it or an emblem, a standard. Actually, think of it not like a broomstick, but more maybe for us to remember, a, a pole with a incredible banner, incredible emblem on the top of it. <laughs> Held high. This is how fit you are. As high as you can hold it for the rest of my talk. It's only about half an hour. That should be fine. <laughs> Held high over us. Here our banner as Christians is that we are Christ's. We are his. Holding up this banner makes all the difference. Because as we hold, as we said in the start of the passage, we saw in the start of the passage, Moses held, what he held with his hands was the staff of God. As long as it was held high, it is over them, reminding them that the most important thing is that Yahweh is there and that he is, they are Yahweh's and he is theirs. Once it slips down, then they are trying on their own and they start to lose. This is the key lesson for us. An Australian theologian called John Chapman wrote about Christianity. He said, we come by the gospel, we live by the gospel, and we die by the gospel. We are under the banner of the gospel, the good news of Christ, as we come to know him, as we live as Christians, and as we die as Christians. This banner with a cross on it, this is the banner for us as Christians. What John Chapman wrote, though, I think is really interesting. I think it's easy, well, easier maybe, to understand both ends of that journey of a Christian. We come by the gospel. How did we first become Christians? Only by hearing the good news of Christ. That saving grace of the rescue plan of Jesus dying for us on that cross. God paying the price that allows us to be known as his and put right by him. He is ours and we are his. And then we die by the gospel, that other end of our lives, when we know because of his self-sacrifice, we can know again that upon that judgment day, after our death, our salvation is assured if we have accepted Jesus' free gift, because our sin is not even seen, because we've been washed clean, paid for once by Jesus' blood, we will be accepted by God and embraced by his beautiful arms. My mum died two weeks ago, and as her family, we will miss her, and we already miss her so much. But as we sat there for the last five days of her life, Night and day, we reminded each other that she knew exactly where she was going. She showed no fear whatsoever. And one day, after my death, I'm going to meet her again on those golden streets of the New Jerusalem. We're going to spot each other and we're going to run to each other and embrace each other. This is the sure hope that we have in the King of Kings as we and our loved ones will die by the gospel, but live through his grace. So either end of this Christian life, 
this journey are maybe easier to understand. But if you're a Christian here today, we're in the massive space in between coming to faith and our leaving of this world. And John Chapman Chapman captures this by saying, we live by the gospel. It's this time in the middle. This can so easily slip away. We can so easily slip away from living by the gospel for every part of our life. As we considered at the start, do we live under his banner for all of our lives? Or as Moses would have said, do we live under his banner constantly and consistently, holding the banner high? Thank you, Mark. In this series, looking at God's name, we started by looking at his name, Yahweh, in Hebrew, which means literally, I am who I am. God is his character. As John the Evangelist wrote in his first letter, God is love. But we saw that not only does Yahweh mean I am who I am, but there's a temporal ambiguity in his name. So yes, Yahweh means I am who I am, but it also means I was who I was. I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. God was love. God is love. God will be love. He is totally and utterly reliable. He is who we should live by. He is the one who brings purpose, even life itself. Therefore, why wouldn't we want to walk through all life with his banner over us? And unlike Mark, it is not tiring. In fact, God's burden is light. So where we fail to live by the gospel... Is this where we either subconsciously or consciously lower his banner? Where we try to live by our own strength? Friends, why do we do that? We have the God of the universe on our side, who is tireless, unlike Mark, ever patient and longs to make our burden light because his shoulders are infinitely broad. And yet we insist on doing something, on some doing some things ourselves like a petulant child. Friends, nothing is either too big or too small to have God's banner flying over it, even the washing up. God does not promise that everything will go well in life, but he promised to be there. Remember Jesus' words, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Whether we're going through a tough time of life or whether life is great or it's something in between. I don't have to tell you, friends, that that is what life is like. Joy and sadness at the same time. I had my boosted COVID jab on Tuesday and there was a shaft of light coming through the Hinchley Wood Church window. And the lady put me right in the seat with the shaft of light on me. And she said, I think in a friendly way, she said, the sun shines on the righteous. Um, But actually, this is a saying, I think, that causes such harm. It's only half of the full quote from Matthew chapter 4, where in our modern version it says, he causes his son to rise on the good and the evil and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness, unrighteous. Meaning good things happen in this life to good and bad people. And bad things also happen to good and bad people. We all know this. But throughout life, it makes all the difference to know 
that whatever happens, we walk with and under God, Yahweh, our banner. So whatever God has in store for us this week, let's walk under his banner. Let's remember that we came to Christ by the gospel. Let's commit to live by the gospel. And when it comes to it, we will fearlessly die by the gospel. In his wonderful name, amen.